following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, we're looking this morning, uh, continuing on uh, our series on faith, on trusting and believing from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. So we're going to read this morning from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. Hebrews 11, 23 to 27. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." We'll stop there. I had hoped to go farther, but uh, the story of my life not going to not going to make it. Um, you know, as we've been talking about what faith is and uh, going through this uh, journey through Hebrews chapter eleven, we've said that that everybody has faith. Uh, everybody believes in something. Uh, there's really no person alive who doesn't have some kind of faith in something. Uh, the question is what you are putting your faith in. Uh, are you putting faith in yourself or in science or in love, in wealth, uh, or in God? And uh, one of the ways to know what people are really trusting in is to um, examine the choices they make in life. And um, every day we make choices and decisions about a lot of different things. <laughs> um, uh, what is it that, uh, and, and those choices impact greatly our life, influence how we live and what we do. But what is it that impacts or determines our choices? Well, I think as we look through the passage today, really, uh, what we think and what we believe, our faith, in other words, uh, has a great influence on what we choose and how we decide. So I want to look today at kind of our faith choices or how faith influences the way we choose, what we do, how we live, uh, the everyday choices we make. Um, and we see that highlighted in, in verse 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. So Moses is an example of faith that makes very difficult choices. And we'll look uh, a bit more at, at, at what choices Moses was faced, faced with and how difficult that must have been. Right, so let's think about faith and choices. And to start off with, let's think about uh, what keeps us from making good choices. Uh, have any of you made a bad choice? And I don't mean like, you know, you got the lasagna instead of the, like, carbonara or something. Like, we have those bad choices. But I mean like life choices that we make that are um, harmful, that 
we know are, are bad choices? What, what causes us to do that? And what keeps us from oftentimes choosing what's best? Uh, sometimes we would think, well, the problem is we don't know what's best, or we don't know what to choose. But the reality is oftentimes, I think maybe the majority of the time, we actually know what's best. Like, we know what we should choose. We know the right path we should take. Um, and, and the problem is not that, that we don't know. The real problem with many choices is that uh, there's two great enemies that, that lead us to make bad choices. And the first one of those is fear. Right? Fear. It's interesting in this passage, uh, it talks about fear twice. First of verse 23, it says, by, Mo, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Right? They had to overcome fear in the midst of the choices they had to make. And fear is lingering there in our choices, um, pressuring us to make the wrong choice. Uh, likewise, in verse 27, kind of the bookends of this, of this section, by faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Um, in both of these cases, it's very likely that the, the fear involved punishment or even death. Defying the king's orders for Moses' parents later when Moses flees to Egypt, uh, um, there's probably a, a death sentence on him, uh, fearing the king's wrath. Um, uh, fear uh, probably has a much bigger impact on our life than most of us realize. Right? We fear... Um, what people think. Uh, we fear what others might say about us. We fear being laughed at. We fear being ridiculed. We fear being rejected. And all those fears, that peer pressure, that, that thought of what people think about us. Uh, and, and like Moses, sometimes the fear of the consequences of the choices we make can paralyze us and keep us from making the choices we know we should. Um, as we will see, a faith choice chooses what God wants regardless of what people think or expect. In fact, oftentimes, completely opposite of what people would expect of us. Right? That's what, um, so we have to overcome by faith. Second thing, though, uh, the second obstacle that keeps us from really choosing the right path and the right thing is just sin. Right? The honest truth is, oftentimes we choose the wrong thing because we want the wrong thing. Right? We want it. We want sin. We want the things that the world offers. Our sinful desires and our selfishness, what I, what I want and what I think I need, seems more important than what God is calling us to. Um, here again, the, 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 the choice before Moses at one point involved indulging in, in an easy life that is characterized by the sinful pleasures of this world, Versus a hard path that involved following God. So verse 24 again. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Uh, the, the honest truth is we make a lot of wrong and bad choices because we are... Um, drawn to sin. Um, I, I really think that Satan is his greatest skill 
His greatest power is he is an expert in advertising and marketing. Now, I'm not saying that all people who do marketing are agents of Satan, okay? Make that distinction. But I think Satan is great at marketing. And what he markets are his lies and his deceptions. And he makes them sound so good. And it kind of goes like this. He, he tells us, you are not happy. And that's oftentimes not a deception. That's oftentimes the truth. Oftentimes we are not happy. Um, maybe right now you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, actually, I'm not happy. Right? And Satan taps into that. And he says, you are not happy. And guess what? I know what will make you happy. And he has us, right? He hooks us. Like, I want to know what he offers that will make us happy. And he offers things like wealth and treasures. Uh, you know, he tells us, you know, the reason you're not happy is because you've got an iPhone 4. Right? That's so, yeah, see, that's funny. That's so old school. Like, only ancient old people would have something that antique. Right? Um, you would be happy if you had a nicer house or a newer car or a really cool motorbike. Uh, maybe it's fame and glory is the thing that you need. That that's what's going to make you happy. If, if people praise you because you're successful before the world. Um, maybe he tells you the reason you're not happy is because you're not being loved. What you need is love. Right? And if you can't get love, at least indulge in sensual pleasure. That will make you happy. Right? But these are all lies of Satan. And the truth is they can never make you happy because that's not really what you really need. Right? At the core of it, that's not what, what we need. And so faith sees things differently. Faith understands things differently. And it causes us to choose a path uh, away from that. But if we trust in these things, right? if we believe Satan's lie and we trust in these things, we will pursue a path to get them. Right? We will choose a job or a career that gives us enough money to buy stuff. Or we will make choices about how we use our money uh, to make sure we get an updated phone or to get a better house or to get what we think we need. We will choose a path that gives us selfish gain, self-glory, self-gratification, and fulfills our selfish ambition. Um, but that's not what Moses did, and that's not what Moses' parents did, and that's not what faith does. Faith overcomes fear, and it overcomes sin by helping us see the world differently and make a whole different kind of choice. Um, Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict. And, and, and this was a fear that was real, right? Uh, the Pharaoh had put out this edict that they were to throw their babies into the Nile River. They were to kill their, their newborn uh, sons. Um, and, and I'm sure that the consequences of that were severe. Right? Were severe. The fear was real, but Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict. Likewise, Moses was not afraid, afraid of the king's wrath when he fled Egypt. Um, and it's important to see here that it doesn't mean that Moses or his parents had no fear. Uh, in fact, it's very interesting. Uh, the author of Hebrews in this, in this passage talks about how uh, Moses fled Egypt, not fearing the king's edict. But when you actually go back and read Exodus, it sounds a lot like Moses is afraid. Right? And I think there was fear there when he killed the Egyptian who was attacking the Israelites, if you remember the story. And... Um, 
Moses saw this injustice, saw this Egyptian mistreating a fellow Israelite, and Moses stood up to him and struck him. It's a tad bit too hard. <laughs> he died. <laughs> not sure if he meant that or not. I don't know, but um, he was okay until he found out that he'd been seen and that the story of it was known. And it says that he was afraid. Right? Fear doesn't mean, I mean, faith, faith doesn't mean that we never have fear. Um, the reality is that fear is very much a part of our life. And if we're honest, like there's a lot of things in life that we fear. Um, it's not that we don't have fear, but faith gives us the power to conquer and overcome those fears, to do the right thing in spite of the fear that we feel. And that's, I think, the case with Moses. He did the right thing in the end, as we'll see more later, uh, because he trusted God. Right, so so, so that's, that's the, the, kind of the obstacle, fear and sin. So how does faith work in them? What is it about faith that they possess that enabled them to make these very difficult choices in the face of, of very real fears and very real dangers? How could they make such radical choices? And for both of them, both Moses' parents and Moses himself made radical choices. Right? It says that he chose the mistreatment and reproach of 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 being a slave over the treasures of Egypt. Now put yourself in Moses' shoes. Right? Would that be an easy choice? Here's a life of comfort in the royal family as one of Pharaoh's grandchildren. Some scholars think that uh, because he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter that, that Moses may have actually had been in line for the throne. Right? Imagine how, what, what this, I mean, I can think how this would go through my head. It's like, yeah, I'm going to become the Pharaoh, and when I'm in charge, I'm going to set my people free. I could rescue them this way. Um, and it would be a lot easier than, than the path he ended up on, fleeing out into the desert and taking on a life of, of, of the same oppression and difficulty that he saw all around him. Um, what gave him the power to do that? Well, as we've said over and over again throughout this series, um, Faith is ultimately seeing. And I believe what empowered Moses and Moses' parents to, to, to make different choices is that faith enabled them to see the world and to see all that was around them through very different eyes. Um, said over and over, faith is seeing the unseen. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Faith is the proof or the evidence of things unseen. It is the ability and capacity for us to see that we are not just part of this physical world, but there is a whole spiritual realm all around us and, and flowing through this. So when we're sitting in this room, like we see this brick and windows and some guy up in front babbling away, blah, 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 and we're sitting here in our little chair. Right? But do we see that this room is also full of angels and the presence of God, and we are the holy temple of God? Right? There is an unseen realm and reality that through the eyes of faith we should see and perceive. Well, these examples in this section uh, show us uh, three powerful illustrations of, of seeing life very differently. Uh, so first of all, uh, let's look at what Moses' parents saw. They saw something that the world could not see. Right? They saw something in their son that nobody else, uh, that the world around them, society, could not see. And let me read again, um, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
Now, this always has been a puzzling verse to me, because, like, really, what parent doesn't look at their newborn baby and say, oh, isn't this the most beautiful child ever? Right? Anybody here say, when you, you know, when you saw your baby, God, oh, man, that's ugly. <laughs> what is this, right? Anybody? Okay. I don't think so, right? We see our kids, and God's given us vision to see the beauty of our babies. Um, so I always looked at this. I was kind of a weird verse. What do you mean they thought he was beautiful? Of course, every parent sees that their child is beautiful. Um, but actually, that's not always true. Right? People do not always see their, their babies as beautiful gifts from God. In fact, in the days of the Old Testament, in the days of Egypt, and later in that time when they worshipped these terrible idols, oftentimes they had these images and these impressions that the idols demanded that they offer up their babies as a living sacrifice, as a, as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. And in many of these pagan cultures, they would do that. They would take their precious baby and they would offer it as a sacrifice to these pagan gods. They may have seen and thought that their child was beautiful, but it was not a beauty that was worth saving. Right? It was easy for, well, not easy, but it was possible for them to sacrifice the life of their own baby, their own child. And of course, in modern days, um, people do the same thing. Of course, we don't, uh, in modern times, we don't offer our infants up to uh, pagan idols on some kind of altar. But instead, people sacrifice their unborn babies on the altar of convenience through abortion. Uh, They do not see the beauty of the life that is in them. Uh, Other other people, and and this happens in places around Asia, where parents traffic their own children into slave labor and prostitution because they do not see the precious beauty of their own children. So the truth is it still does happen. And the reality is that oftentimes the world does not see what, what we should see as God's people. So when it says that they saw uh, his beauty, it doesn't mean just that they thought he was cute. Right? Uh, maybe he actually wasn't all that cute. I don't know. Um, but what they saw is this. They saw that this was a precious life created in the image of God that had divine beauty stamped all over it. Right? That this child was a precious life created in the very image of God, uh, an image bearer of the divine nature. And seeing that beauty, they knew that it wasn't just a cute baby, but that it was a life worth protecting at all costs. Right? That's what they saw. And that's what the world doesn't see. Right? That's what we should see in our children that oftentimes the world doesn't see. They possess a beauty not the outward beauty of just their face or how cute they are, but a beauty as of a human being, specially created in the image of God, that is a life worth protecting at all costs. Right? That's why we, uh, we fight against abortion. That's why we fight for the rights of the unborn or children who are trafficked. Because we know that every life is created in God's image and every life is beautiful and it's worth fighting for at all costs. And so... Moses' parents saw that and they were willing to protect this life to help this child and do whatever it could to save him no matter what the cost was to them personally. And I don't know if they knew how this was going to work out, but they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were going to do whatever it took to hide Moses and to see him grown and to have life. No matter how inconvenient it was for them, no matter the risk to them personally, or the sacrifice it involved. 
That was the choice that they made. Second thing. Uh, second story is really about Moses. Verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, so much later, he's grown up, now he's an adult, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So again, Moses is making choices here. He's making faith choices. And the first choice that he makes is to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Um, Pharaoh's daughter had adopted him. And it's one thing to be adopted by, like, some average person, but it's another thing to be adopted by, like, Pharaoh's daughter. He was part of the royal family. And he made a choice to denounce that adoption and to denounce his right, his, his legal right, to be an heir of the throne of Pharaoh and to all its wealth and treasure and power. Why in the world would he do that? And not only that, it says, but he refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Moses, what is wrong with you? Right? It's like, I'm going to suffer the same abuse and mistreatment that they are. Um, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin, he considered the reproach or the insult of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt. Why? And here's the key, the last words. For he was looking to the reward. Right? The second thing that faith sees, faith sees what the world does not see. And the second thing faith sees is faith sees beyond the here and now, beyond today. Like one of the problems where we fall short uh, in life and the reason that Satan can so easily deceive us <clears throat> is that too many of us see only what's going on in our life right now, here and today. And we have no vision for the long-term race that's before us. Uh, Moses saw that there was more going on than just what was going on today. He saw a future. And, and for him, the reward that would come in the future was far greater than all the treasures of Egypt, which for him was an impressive statement because he had at his access, literally, all the treasures of Egypt. But he uh, saw the treasures of Egypt as connected with the pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of momentary sin. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of debate about when or how Moses made this choice. Uh, did Moses actually like write a letter to his, you know, adopted mom, Pharaoh's daughter? Hey, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm moving out. Like I'm, you know, I want to be disowned by you. Like how did he do this? Well, we don't really know, and the Bible doesn't give a lot of detail about Moses' thinking or his life or what he did. But it does give one account that we know for sure this was the moment, whether what, whatever he thought in his head. But it was the moment where his actions made a choice for him. And the account is in, in Exodus when Moses is out uh, viewing the people. Uh, his own people, the, the Israelites, who were being mistreated and abused as slaves. And as we know the story, as I mentioned, he's out and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster come and start ruthlessly beating one of his fellow countrymen. And he's apparently at this point already identified himself uh, as one of the children of Abraham, as one of the Israelites. He's, he's already at some level emotionally disconnecting from 
the family and the, and the life in Egypt, and he's identifying more and more with these as his people. And he sees something that, that grips him, that enrages him. He sees his people being treated with great injustice. Right? He sees somebody being treated unfairly and unjustly. And he decides, um, maybe without a lot of pre-thought, uh, maybe quite impulsively, we don't know, it doesn't really say, but he made a split decision right then and there that he was going to not tolerate that injustice. And uh, there's a lot of debate. Did he take justice into his own hands? Was it really right for him? Was, he, was this really the best way for Moses to intervene by walking up to this guy and killing him? Uh, we don't know, but, but he did make a choice in, those, in that moment to choose for his people and against Egypt. Right? He was choosing for what was right. He was choosing to stand up against injustice. He was in, choosing to stand up against the cruel oppression of his people. And he identified himself on that moment with the people of Israel. And we know that, that in that split second, whether he thought about like the long-term consequences of this or not, we don't know. But very quickly it, may, it became clear that he had cast his vote. He had cited his allegiance with Israel, with slaves, with the mistreated and the oppressed. And now he was an enemy of Egypt. Um, and he stuck with the choice. Right? He could have gone to Pharaoh and said, oh, you know, I just lost my temper. I don't know what I was thinking. No, he stuck with it. He said, I am sticking with the people of Israel. And he chose their reproach and their insult. By the way, the reproach of Christ, um, interesting thought, the reproach really means an insult. Why is it the reproach of Christ? It's a picture of how Jesus so identifies with his people that when the people of Israel were insulted and abused and mistreated, uh, Jesus himself was experiencing that abuse and mistreatment and reproach. Um, it's also a picture prophetically of the day that Jesus would take on himself the reproach and insult and shame of all our sin. Right at the cross, Jesus took on this reproach, this insult, this blight, this blackness of the disease of our sin. And Jesus said that and promised that all who follow him, all who believe in him would also be rejected and hated by the world as he was. Choosing faith means choosing to be an enemy of this world. Choosing to be hated by this world. So the author of Hebrews cites this story because it's very real and relevant for our life. Are you choosing the temporary, immediate pleasures of sin... Or do you have a view to choose the eternal reward that you must wait for? Which are you choosing? Third thing. Um, what faith saw is faith saw the invisible God. And maybe you think, you know, I don't, I don't really get your definition of faith as seeing the invisible. Maybe you think I'm kind of a lunatic and I've, uh, I'm just making this up. But a bunch of you know, it really comes from the Bible. And it really comes specifically from verse 27. Okay. Um, it comes right out of this passage. Notice what it says in verse 20, 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the king's anger, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
And the emphasis here is not on the enduring part, but on seeing the invisible God. Uh, Moses killed the Egyptian. He, uh, fear gripped him. He, his thought was to flee Egypt, and he did. But the writer of Hebrews says that as he went forward, as he left Egypt, it was for him an act of faith. Uh, it was going out into a very great unknown. Where would Moses go? Like everything he knew, his whole world, what was safe, what was comfortable for him was in Egypt. Leaving Egypt took tremendous faith. Where would he go? How would he live? What would he eat? What would he do? Forget the fear of the wrath of the king. Uh, what I think he had to overcome was the fear of the unknown. All right? He was being, uh, going out into a wilderness where he knew nothing. But he was able to persevere in that journey. How? Because he could see the invisible God. Right? He knew that God was with him. Um, one, one commentator puts it this way, the emphasis falls not on the endurance, but on continually seeing, as it were, the unseen God. The reference is not to the awesome event at the burning bush, which some suggest, by the way, as if to say that Moses literally saw one who is visible. Rather, it refers to a fixed habit of spiritual perception. In other words, as Moses was fleeing Egypt, he decided that he was going to have God, the invisible God, before him every step of the way, leading him. And he was going to trust his life into the hands of the invisible God. Um, this is really the essence of what faith is. In Hebrews 10.22, we've referred to this verse often. The writer says, Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. How do you do that? How do you draw near to God? How do you come near to God and come into his very presence, into his holy temple? Uh, well, we know this is made possible first by the blood of Jesus, right? We can draw near to God through the work of Christ and our faith in what Jesus did to save us, to cleanse us, and to give us access to the Father is the first big piece of that. But then on our part, we, we draw near to God by faith. What does that mean? Well, it means that we see this invisible reality that's before us. Right? We see the invisible truth that God, when we gather as his people, God shows up here. Right? Imagine if we could really see this. Right? I think we would take church a lot more seriously. Like, I think we would get a lot more excited if we had some sense of God's real presence with us here and now. And it's not a feeling. It's far beyond feeling. And it's, it's not about seeing with our eyes or experiencing some signs and wonders. Um, and God can give those to increase our faith. But it's about seeing with the spiritual eyes of our heart and soul and knowing that it's true. Right? That God is here with us. His Holy Spirit is poured out in this room right now. And He is ministering to us. Um, it's knowing and believing and seeing that God is with us and more importantly, maybe, is that God is for us. Do you believe that God is for you? That he even knows about you? That he cares about you? Right? That's what the eyes of faith should cause us to see. And if he is for us, then we can have confidence to live for him and for his glory. Right? Moses had some sense of that. <clears throat> 
how do how do you grow in how do you grow in that kind of faith, right? How do you grow with, to increase your vision so you can see this invisible God? Um, here's a couple verses. Uh, I think simply we need to learn to seek Him. Like if this is really true, if you can really draw near to God, if you really can see something of the invisible Creator of the universe. Uh, it should be our vision, our goal, our passion to seek Him. Uh, Jesus says this in Luke 11:9. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. What are we to seek? We're to seek God's face. We're to seek His presence. We're to seek relationship with Him that's close and intimate and personal. We are to knock on the door of his very throne room and find it open where he invites us in. Maybe we do not see God because we're not really looking for him. Uh, I remember back in another life, uh, before I moved to Thailand, not before I was born, um, another life before I came to Thailand, uh, I loved to hunt. And uh, there's a lot about hunting that I love and going out and the challenge of it all. And uh, one of the things I learned hunting is that oftentimes uh, you'd go into a forest and you would think, oh, there's no, there's no deer, there's no elk here. But the problem was that I hadn't trained my eyes to really see everything that was there. And as people taught me and as I learned and as I experienced more and more and spent more time, I started to see things that I had walked right by before. And I started thinking, man, how many times did I just walk right by a deer or an elk that was like right there, because I didn't see it, because I didn't know what to look for. But after a while, as you spend time and you practice, you develop skills, and I started to realize that um, sometimes I could, I could, I wouldn't even see them with my eyes, but I could smell them. I mean, I almost taste them, right? And my heart would get so excited, right? And I would get so excited that I'd shoot and miss every time. So the deer were pretty safe with me around, right? I had to train my eyes to what to look for, to see the things that were almost invisible. Right? Are we training our eyes to see God around us and in us and working in our life in so many ways? Or are we going through life mostly oblivious to the hand of God at work in our life and orchestrating things in us and around us? <clears throat> So, so that's what, what faith sees, right? Faith sees what the world does not. Faith uh, sees this invisible God. Faith sees an eternal future way out ahead of us. And those things, greatly, if we see those things, it greatly impacts the choices we make. So let me just briefly go through three, well, actually four. We'll, we'll look at three. One of them is just kind of a tag on at the end. But three Four things that it affects our choices, how it makes us choose differently. First thing, faith causes us to choose to do what's right no matter the cost. And we said that we saw that with Moses' parents. When they saw this this baby, a gift from God created in God's image, they made the choice to, to save this life, to protect and preserve it, no matter the cost of them personally. And they chose to do the right thing, overcoming fear and facing the the threat and danger of even death. 
right? Because they saw the world differently. When we see God's word, when we see God's truth, it gives us boldness and courage to overcome fear and to choose to do the right thing, even though it costs us something. Second thing, uh, it causes us, faith causes us to choose the eternal reward over temporary earthly treasure. Right? We start living exclusively for eternal gain and eternal prize. Um, and what this means is that not only do we choose to do what's right, but we choose to do what's right, even though it often requires suffering, hardship, insult, and death. Why would we do that? Why would Moses, think about this, why would Moses reject the treasures of Egypt to become a slave and to have a really hard life? Uh, that's just insane, right? But he did it because he saw that there was a much greater reward than what was available to him at that moment. You know, the sad reality is that we live in a day and an age when uh, sin is so accessible, right? Our addictions, the ability to gratify our flesh in an instant is so available to us. It's so instant. Like back in the old days, sin was still there and it was pretty easy, but you had to work more at it. Now you don't have to work at it. It just comes right to you, right? On your computer, your internet, whatever, right? It's so accessible. And, and too many Christians are trapped in these kind of terrible addictions and slaves to all kinds of sin, all kinds of pleasures of the world. And at the root of it is this very choice. It is choosing instant pleasure and rejecting eternal reward. Right? We're saying, no, I want, I want pleasure. I want the prize now. I can't wait for it. I've got to have it this instant. And it destroys our life. And the only way to battle that, the, the only way to overcome that is to see that there is a much greater prize, but you have to wait for it. Right? There is so much at stake here. And by opting for the pleasures of the sin of this world, you are rejecting the eternal prize and reward. Now by that, I don't mean that you're losing salvation. Praise God that Jesus died for all of our sins. And if you choose sin today, God does not reject you. In fact, he offers you grace and forgiveness. As many times as you sin, he says, if you confess your sins, uh, you repent, you confess your sins, uh, I am, he is faithful and just to forgive. God will forgive you. But forgiveness is not the same as reward. We need to have an eternal perspective of the reward that waits us. Uh, Andrew Murray puts it this way. It's a little hard English, so stick, stick with me, but I'll explain it. He says, faith looks at everything in the light of eternity. Okay, it looks at everything through the lens of eternity. Judging of it as one will do when the judgment day is past and glory begun. So here's, so here's the picture. Imagine when you're going to make a choice that you're looking at that choice from judgment day, right? And you're looking back on your life. You're standing before God in judgment. And, and God said, let's talk about that choice you made. Right? It's a choice you're, you're looking now. But what would it look like on judgment day, the choice you're about to make, right? When we look at it from the vantage point of judgment day, there everything is seen in, in its true value 
And sacrifice and suffering and loss and trial are welcomed as the training in which the glad decision, a firm will, a strong character, and the victory of faith are attained. Um, And one day we will stand before God in judgment. Our sin through Christ will be removed and, and there will be no condemnation. But there will also be the test of our life for reward. On that day, what do you want to hear? Well, you're saved. That's pretty much it. You know, enter and, you know, by the skin of your teeth, as if by fire. What regret will you feel knowing that for very temporary moments of pleasure, you cast aside eternal reward? Or will you hear those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter and enjoy the wealth of treasure I have for you. Third thing, uh, faith causes us to choose the great unknown with God over comfort and the safety of the familiar. Um, By faith, uh, Moses left Egypt and went out into a great unknown. Faith is willing to take incredible risks. Now, not all risks are faith. And like there's some, you want to search some like really crazy things, you go to YouTube and just risk really stupid things people do in the name of risk. Now, people do like crazy things, like climbing these huge, you know, hundred story buildings without ropes and jumping off cliffs with, I mean, like the stupid things, right? That is taking risks. That is not faith. Well, it is faith. It's faith in yourself. It's faith in, in, it's not faith in God, right? Uh, So there's a kind of risk taking that has nothing to do with faith. But you cannot walk in faith and not embrace risk, right? Because faith will always move you out of your comfort zone. Oh, I hate that, right? I hate that. Uh, If Moses wanted safe and comfortable, the easiest thing in the world was to stay in Egypt. But God called him out to something different. Faith calls us to a journey of the unknown. Uh where we are ripped out of our, culture, our, our comfort zone and forced to face our fears in a huge way. Let me just close with a couple of questions. Oh, last thing. Faith chooses to do crazy, impossible things. We're going to talk about that next week. The, the crazy things that faith causes us to choose to do. Uh, but lastly, let me, let me just close with a, a few simple questions. Um, are you making faith choices? We are making faith choices. The question is, what is our faith in? Right? What, what are we believing in that's influencing how we choose to live our life? Um, imagine you are standing before God at judgment. Right? How will your current choices and decisions be viewed on that day? Right? If you're standing before God in judgment, how does your life right now, how are, you going, how are you going to look back on your life right now? And what are you going to think about it? Uh, what would you like to tell yourself then about how you're living now? 
Would you tell yourself, what are you so afraid of? Why are you letting fear so control your life? Why are you so controlled by the fear of what people think? Um, why are you putting so, much, uh, putting so little effort into seeing the glory of God and His majesty and power who saved you by the blood of Jesus? Maybe you would tell, maybe your future self would tell your present self, why do you live so far from His presence? with so little vision of his spirit in you and with you. Maybe you would tell yourself, oh, if you could only see how much God is with you and how much he is for you. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.